We will adjust. Anyway, one of the, uh, did you hear anything I said? Some things? Okay. Anyway, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to deal with the issue of unresolved conflict. And one of the uh, marks of maturity is the ability to disagree without becoming disagreeable. And uh, it takes grace, doesn't it? If you really stop and think about it, it takes grace. Because we've all seen little children pout, and we've seen them throw temper tantrums when they don't get their own way. And I'm sure if you have children or you remember back when you were younger, the old uh, accusation that, you know what, well, I'm going to go tell on you. Uh, kind of that kind of mentality and that attitude. And uh, some of us wrestle with that. I don't know about you, but we used to have certain guys that, you know, when we would pick up um, teams to play different sports, there were those who didn't have the most ability, but the one thing that they did have is what we looked for, and that was that they usually had the ball or the bat or, or something else that we needed. So, you know, and, and we always hated those kids that, you know, somewhere during the course of the, of the activity when they decided, you know what, if I don't get my way, I'm going to take my ball and go home. And, you know, you learn real quick in life that life is a negotiation at one point or another. So you negotiate. And one would think that, you know, as, as we grow older, that such childish behavior would be put behind us. That somehow would stop, you know, thinking like children and acting like children and that we would grow up. You'd think as we grew older and wiser and more mature that such behavior would be behind us. But in fact, that isn't... Oh... <laughs> You're killing me this morning. <laughs> but in fact, that. Uh... Oh. Thanks, Jim. That's Jim Slaza, our sound man up there today. And uh, I just noticed I probably don't give him the type of recognition that he truly deserves. And so I just want to thank you for your faithfulness. And finding the right button and all that good stuff that's going on up there. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm taking my button and I'm going home. Oh, well, anyway. Um, where were we? Oh, well, it's time to pray. <laughs> but, uh, oh, you would think that as we grew older that this kind of activity would stop, but it isn't always the case. In fact, some of the most, uh, well, let's say maybe the older we get, sometimes the, the more brittle we become in our reactions and the more tedious and stubborn and fragile and sadly it seems to be more so true of Christians than most other people that I meet. And I, don't, you know, and I really don't understand that because you would think that in the church, of all places in this world, that in the church it would be a place where you would find tolerance and patience and forbearance and gentleness and tact and that there'd be plenty of room for open discussion and even room for disagreement. You would think that in the church we would find these things, right? I mean, because all of us realize the only reason we're here is because of the grace of God. That none of us are perfect, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there's none righteous, no, not one. Each of us has, have gone astray and gone our own way. There's nothing good in any of us, and the only thing that's good is what God implants as we turn and we put our trust in Jesus Christ. Now, you would think that we would realize that by now, and that none of us are better than any of the other that we're all equal before the sight of God. And you would think because of that, there'd be room to disagree with one another and do it in an agreeably or an agreeable fashion, right? How many of you found that to be true, though? Not many of us. In fact, it's interesting because it's rare to find those who have grown in grace as well as in knowledge to complement their years. 
So today we're going to focus, and next week also, on the grace to disagree agreeably. Recently I read a, a, a beautiful story of a pastor who I think his actions convey everything that we're going to talk about, and I want to share it with you up front because then I want to try to illustrate it as we go along. But apparently this pastor was a pastor of a church, he was a pastor of a Baptist church, and he was called by another minister, and he was asked an unusual request, but one that this minister thought was appropriate because he had had several people in his church who wanted to be baptized and had never been baptized. And the church in which he pastored, the mode of baptism was that they would be sprinkled with water. And the people that were in the church that wanted to be baptized wanted to be immersed. They wanted to be dunked and felt that that was the way that they'd like to be baptized. So this minister of the church who didn't have the facilities to dunk these people called this pastor of a church, the Baptist church, and said, I realize that you, know, you have a baptistry that we can use, that we can immerse people, and so we've got some people that want to be immersed, and is it okay if we came over and used your baptismal, and not only that, but would you go ahead and do the baptism? So now this pastor's wrestling with this major dilemma, and that is that, you know, well, yeah, we want to help them out, but my problem as the pastor of this Baptist church is, and I'm not sure if these people have come to know the Lord or not, and don't feel it's my place to interview them to go through the process of finding out, and so his conviction was, you know what, I don't Think I... <sighs> you know, for those of you who just listened by tape, you miss so much not being here in person. Anyway, so we're back at this Baptist church. And the pastor doesn't want to, because of his conviction, he doesn't want to baptize people he didn't know whether to come to know the Lord or not. So anyway, he wrote a letter back to the minister of the other church. And it was, it was a classic example of how to be gracious in communicating with one another. And he included this humorous statement that I thought was, it was hilarious. He said this, We don't take in laundry, but we'll be happy to loan you our tub. <laughs> you know, and if you want to come and use it, you can come and use it. And you know what you think? That's so simple. It seems so simple, right? But what's sad is that many of us, that we live our lives on the edge of upheaval and borderline controversy, if you think about it, we're always ready to do battle. We're always ready to come to blows simply because we have found in our lives there is no room for disagreement, even in those areas that God has chosen to give us freedom to choose. Have you found that to be true? We're ready to come to blows in areas that God has chosen to give us freedom to choose. That's sad. And that's not grace. And it doesn't promote grace. And what it does is it destroys grace. And most ministries and many churches live their lives on the verge of dividing because there's no room for the freedom to negotiate in those negotiable areas. There's no open ear to those who hold a different opinion. And you can find out real quickly by sharing your opinion. And if it's different than those who hold one type of power position or the other, they usually say something like this. Thank you, but. Thank you, but. What do you mean, thank you, but? Thank you, but what we're saying is we don't really care what your opinion is because we've got our opinion and it's this way. And there's an attitude of haughtiness to some degree where it's like it's my way or the highway. And if you don't like it, take a hike. And that's sad, because that doesn't promote grace. It destroys it. It's not what grace is all about. 
We need to learn to deal with one another in disagreeable areas in an agreeable way that's pleasing to God. And I can understand, however, how people get to the point where they don't want to hear criticism anymore. If you've ever been in a leadership position or if you've ever been in a position where you speak on a regular basis before diverse groups of people, you can understand quite quickly that that's a defense mechanism. I defend myself and I find that God is dealing with me in that area. I defend myself rather quickly when someone, after I have spent hours preparing something, hours studying, hours preparing, hours praying, hours going over in my mind and also on paper what I want to say and how I want to say it, and change it over and over again during the course of a week, only to have someone come up to me no matter where it is, whether it's here or in another place where I've spoke, spoken, and have somebody off the top of their head come up and just tear me apart and be critical without giving it any thought at all. So I know what that's like to, to become defensive and, and want to turn your critics off to where you don't even want to hear anything that they have to say. The funny thing is, a couple of Sunday nights ago, I had the opportunity to speak in the Sunday evening service, and for those of you there, you'll know what I'm talking about. For those of you who weren't, I kind of did an encore performance of something that we did here. I like to say that that just saved me time of having to prepare something different. But the reality of it was is that I spoke on grace, and I spoke on how we need to be more gracious in our response to one another. And if you'll recall, if you were here, I used word pictures to try to help one to understand the picture of grace from the standpoint of putting a smile on our face. And we talked about the gracefulness of athletes and of dancers, and we talked about the, the, the grace that we saw as somebody was praying in a restaurant and, and whatever, and all those different things, and, and how I was trying to get a, convey an illustration as a word picture of how when I saw those things, it brought a smile to my face, and it changed me from a no-faced person to a yes-faced person. Uh, yes face person when you see grace being demonstrated in another person's life can you believe that I got a letter from a person who was critical of the fact and quote this is what their opinion was that that picture of grace is not an accurate reflection of the biblical meaning of grace that somehow word pictures or illustrations are now doctrinal heresy and just tore me up one side and down the other. Now, you know, I read that and, I, and, and it started out trying to be nice. And then it was just, here's what we really want to say. And, and, it, and, it, and it hurts. And you read that and it hurts. And, and I want to make a couple suggestions as we deal with this whole thing of grace. And what I'd like to suggest is a very simple thing, but, you know, take it for what it's worth. Why don't you think before you criticize someone? It's a thought. I don't know. It's just my suggestion to you. Take it for what it's worth. No, I mean that. I don't mean that in the case of this one particular person. But what I'm saying is, if we're going to be critical of one another, think about what you're going to say. If you're going to write a scathing letter to someone, think about it. Pray about it. Ask God to give you wisdom on what you want to say and, and how to say it in a more gracious manner, like that pastor who wrote the letter and said, you know what, hey, I, you know, we don't take in laundry, but we'll be glad to loan you our tub. A gracious statement in a very, what could have been a very confrontational issue. A sense of humor that went along with it. Have you looked at it from this vantage point or this perspective? Or can I suggest something to you? Think what you want to say before you say it. Pray about it before you write it down. You know what's interesting to me is, and I don't know if this will help you, but in many times when I felt to be, like I needed to be critical of something that was said by another person or something that was being done, if I took the time to pray about it and wrote it down and rewrote it and read it and wrote it again and set it aside for a couple of days and came back to it a couple of days later and read it again, you know what? 95% of the time I've thrown it in the trash. And God's dealt with me on that. 
because we can tend to be highly critical of one another. Put yourself in the position of the person that you're going to criticize. Put yourself in the position of the person who gets the mail and opens it up and reads what's being, what's being said. Put yourself in that position. Now, I realize one thing is true, is that most of the time, the most critical people fall into a very small minority of people. And that the majority of people tend to be more encouraging and uplifting, but the problem is that we're not very vocal when we tend to be those types of people. So you don't hear that. Rarely ever do you hear that. And so what I want to kind of lay the groundwork is, you know, trust me when I say this, but bitter and harsh words that are spoken to another person are like knives, man, that just stab, stab you in the innermost parts of your being. And you may forget all about it. The person who wrote me a letter probably didn't think anything of it. Got it out of, out of the way, wrote it down, sent it off, and moved on with their life. But I've got to live with what I read. I've got to live with what I hear. And some people think, oh, he's a tough guy. He can take it. Some people think he's a bonehead. Maybe he needs to hear this, you know, and we'll drive it home any way that we can. And what I'm trying to get across is where none of us are above being criticized in a constructive manner. And I, and I would hope and I pray as I consider what I'm saying that I'd always be open to listen to it. Because even in the, in the harshest criticism, there may be a kernel of truth that God is trying to use to conform me into the image of his son. And I need to be aware of that. So I need to be open to that. We all need to be open to that. But there's, one, one, there's an old saying that I, I read not long ago, and I like it because it helps me to understand. It says, you know what? We need to write our criticisms in the dust, but our compliments in marble. Write our criticisms in the dust. If we're going to be critical, write it in dust, because when that person changes, we have to be willing and ready to erase it immediately. When a person struggles in an area of their life and they've dealt with it before the Lord and God has changed them and dealt with it, we have to be ready to say, you know what? What God has forgiven and forgotten, so have I. And I'm going to erase it out of the dust. And we need to write our compliments in marble, things that we will remember for all of our lives. When friends disappoint and discourage, or your spouse does, or your family does, or people in your life disappoint you and discourage you, and they do things that are hurtful and harmful. You know what we need to do? We need to look back on what we've read, written in marble and say, thank God for these areas of that person's life. And I'm willing to erase what God has erased. Write your criticisms in dust and your compliments in marble. Ephesians 4, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 4. I just want to kind of lay some groundwork for what we're going to talk about. But in Ephesians 4, verses 29 through 32... I think says it best because who can say it better than God? And it concerns how we're to respond to one another. And I think this, this text will lay a groundwork for what we'll get into next week on how to learn to disagree agreeably. But we read this, this is, a new Amer this is a new international version. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be of a benefit to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The New American Standard says, Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of that moment that it may give grace to those who hear. I like that. Don't let any trash come out of your mouth. Don't let any garbage come out of your mouth. 
but let only those words that are good for the need of that moment to build that person up in the struggles or the area that they find themselves currently entangled in. Build them up. Don't tear them down. It's for the need of that particular moment. Why? So that it will give grace. You know what grace is? If you want the, the biblical definition, which I can't find one because there's many illustrations of it, but the idea is, is that God gives us what we don't deserve. And as you stop and you think about this, you know what grace is? Grace is saying something to someone that they don't deserve to hear in your opinion, but saying it anyway because it'll benefit them and it'll build them up instead of tearing them down. That's it. Saying that which will build up. I'm in the construction industry. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to tear something down than it is to build it up. It doesn't take half as much time, not nearly as much time. Watch how long it takes to demo a building. A couple sticks of dynamite here and there and the whole building's gone. It'll take them a year to rebuild the building in Oklahoma City, but it took only moments for them to blow the rest of the building and just level it to the ground. So the point I'm trying to make is the easiest thing in the world is to destroy somebody with a thoughtless, with a thoughtless word. The hard thing to do is to take that word or what you want to say and go through the planning department at the building department. Take it and have them look over the plans and check it and make sure that it's right. Give it some thought and some time and plan it and draw it out and etch it out and make sure that it's going to work. And then when you come back, when it's all said and done, then you're ready to build up and you say what needs to be said to lift that person up. That's what learning to, to disagree agreeably is really all about. And there's an incident that takes place in Scripture, and I'm so glad that it does, in which God takes two godly men who disagree mightily on a certain situation and God will help us to see the grace that he bestowed upon each of them as they came to a decision on how to deal with a disagreeable situation in an agreeable way that was pleasing before God. And I want to deal with a whole bunch of stuff that's going to hit real close and, and, and personal as far as what we've been going through as a church and frankly, what I've seen is that we have come to disagreements and we haven't done it very agreeably. And God help us to be ready to listen to what he has to say about some tough issues. But with God's grace, we'll all be able to deal with it and live through it. For now, just do this. You know what? Work on this. Talk nice this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. Just thank you, as Chuck said, that even though we're sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. That despite of our weaknesses, in fact, not even despite it, but because of it. And not even because of it, because grace isn't based on our weaknesses or our strengths, but it's just based on your desire to give us what we don't deserve. God, we just thank you for that. We thank you for healing. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that you're a God that once we confess our sins, you remove it as far as the east is from the west and you never hold it against us again. God, what a role model that is for each of us. God, help us to be people who write our criticisms in the dust, ready at any moment to erase it, and our compliments in marble, always remembering the good that we see in one another. And God, may no unwholesome word proceed out of our mouth this week, but only that which is, which is edifying, building up for the need of the moment, that we may be bearers of grace to those who hear it. And we just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.